All right. Hey, welcome back to Why Care. I'm Rashma Sajani, and I'm here with Tim Allen. We have another, another great episode with you. Uh, with a special guest who's a friend of both of ours, um, Blessing Adeshian, the founder of Mother Honestly. We're going to be talking with Blessing about some eye-opening research Mother Honestly did with Care.com and the modern workplace and working caregivers. And then Tim and I are going to share what we thought were some of our most compelling things that came up through this series and thoughts that I know I'm still continuing to think about and talk about, about what we need to do to fix this mess once and for all. But before we get started, Kim, let's catch up. How was parenting this week? Oh, uh, it's, you know, it, it goes in and out. I would say it's the struggle of parenting, right? So uh, I'm obsessed and focused on, have you seen this data regarding the fourth and eighth grade test scores from the COVID yes, impact? Yes, on math. It's, yes. It's crazy, yes, right? The math like, scores. If, for yep. those of you who, are, who aren't familiar with it, it's basically shows how there's just such a gap in what's happened with children in terms of COVID education and how they're just they're faring r- holistically, like you know, r- regardless of state, just so poorly on their math assessment skills uh, in fourth and eighth grade. And you know, part of the reason I'm obsessing about it is I think we've talked about this before, Reshma. I know you and I have talked about it personally. I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast, but my son has dysgraphia and dyslexia. So, okay. you know, I'm so fortunate to have the resources I have, but even inside of those resources, it is such a struggle in the daily life to find the right support, like who you call, get the right testing set up with the school. And so they started kindergarten during COVID, like my kids did. So basically their first year was just at home, us struggling, us all figuring it out as we've all talked about in previous episodes. And what I've really noticed was like that really, ex- like it it compounded the issues for him in regards to yeah. some of his, his, you know, just even reading. We've, we've just this week, and he's now, by the way, in the second grade. So like, we're like, we've been for two years trying to figure out with schools what to do. Yeah. So just this week, he got a tutor in terms of the specialists. And it wasn't the lack of, you know, look, again, very fortunate work at care.com. There's tutors on the platform. It's more knowing what to do and doing it in the way that's going to complement his learning, if that makes sense. And what he's supposed to know. I mean, I, my son, Sean's in second grade too. And I'm, I don't like what math level is he supposed to be at? What is he supposed to be reading? How do I know if he's behind or ahead, especially when we're working, right? Like it's really hard. Yeah. So this week we've been we've been we've been like celebrating that having that happen. That's awesome! Congratulations! Yeah, so that's thank like you. feels good when you're like, okay, we have someone who can support us. It's kind it's kind of like you know what um what Betsy was saying is like yeah. we're not supposed to be taking care of our kids because there's specialists <laughs> and experts right who are like know how to be teaching second graders. It's not yeah. us, you know. It's not the three of us on this call. So. Yeah. And, and then, by the way, feeling constantly like I'm failing for two years, I've been feeling like I've been failing him, right? Like we've yeah. been reading together, working together, doing a bunch of stuff. But I feel as a parent, and I think all, I, I, wanna, I, don't wanna, I don't wanna say I represent all parents, but I think I speak for a lot of parents when I say, you want you, you want to do what's right for your kid. You want to do everything you can to help your child. And so for two years, I have constantly felt like I am failing my son. I am failing yeah. here, right? Because he is he was just struggling. He was just struggling and mm. keeping up. And then knowing that COVID has compounded that, it's a little bit like I look at it and go, oh, this, yeah. like, not only was living through the pandemic, trying to get everything organized in the pandemic, 
there is such an aftermath of the pandemic to our children that like- That we haven't even started to peel back. No. That we haven't even started to peel back. And this learning loss thing really upsets me because we've seen it, you know, at Girls Who Code. And it's the thing that we should be knocking down the doors about and really, again, coming together as a community. I mean, also like teachers are burnt out. They're exhausted. They're tired. And parents are tired. And so we really got to kind of come together and say, what's the solution here? What's the metrics? What's the goal? We, our kids can't be falling behind like this when it comes to math and science uh, or reading or anything, quite frankly. 100%. Because it's the kids. Yeah. You know, it's the kids who have to pay the price at the end of the day. And it's untenable. You're, you're hitting upon the thing that just, you know, you know, I love my soapboxes and here I am again. But like the teaching shortage you know right now we have we have people in the schools in in Texas that are literally not teachers but they have such a shortage that they're giving them special one year conditions to say hey you can come be a teacher you know not a full time teacher a substitute teacher long term substitute is what they're calling them and like that's not tenable the covid gap year is not tenable the lack of resources isn't tenable so it's like you know it's not all doom and gloom parents sitting out there but what i will say is to Reshma's point, we are just peeling this back and we are all feeling it. And as a community, we got to just be cognizant of that 100%. Yeah, we got to start paying attention. Um, how was your week? <laughs> now that I have taken us down that road. <laughs> My week was pretty shitty. I mean, I, well, I, like, I think a lot of parents right now, I got two kids with RSV. Um, oh, no. Yes. And so it's this horrible cough virus fever, all of it. And, you know, my my seven-year-old is like a tank, you know, so he never gets sick. But if he gets sick, I'm not too worried about him because he'll like recover. My baby, the two-year-old, is just doesn't have the, he's just fragile and he's got asthma. You know, we've been in the emergency room two more times than I can count, needs to get the little, you know what I mean? Um, the nebulizer, you know, right? I was the nebulizer. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, it's really, it's really rough. And so when you get a virus, you know, so two weeks ago, Sean gets the RSV, and I'm just waiting for Cy to be out. And he's in school, and he's enjoying it. And he's just a little guy, just trying to live. And then he just, like on Friday, it just goes downhill. And you know what that means. That means coming in your bed, crying, my tummy hurts, going up and down, the bottle, the rocking. So you're, I'm sleeping like, you know, every hour, every two hours. We're just my, – my poor husband's training for the marathon, right? And so oh, wow. it's just – so every – so – classically, you know, and we have like, it's the volley. So we have like all these like events and stuff that we have to like, you know, we're trying to do it all when we just should be like doing, like sitting at home and doing nothing. And of course, like the other day, two days ago, the kids are sick. I'm probably stressed with them being sick and trying to do my stuff. And I just start feeling hot, you know, and I'm like, let me take a cold shower. I'm just, you know, I'm starting to itch. And before I know it, my whole body is like broken out in hives. And my husband's like having dinner like down the street. I'm like, you got to come back. I'm and I'm dying. You know what I mean? And I got two yeah. sick kids downstairs and the babysitter's got to go home because she's not feeling well, right? And so like my husband comes in to the, and I'm upstairs in the bedroom trying to hide from the kids so I don't freak them out, right? When they see me covered in like hives yeah, and also feel like I'm about to die and like really want to go to the hospital. But so my husband's like, sitting there and he's like he god bless him like now like he's like you know he doesn't have to do the laundry for two weeks like that's how that's how high he is on my book today right now but he kind of walks in and he's like i look crazy right and the kids are downstairs and he's thinking like 
I can't take her to the hospital. I don't have childcare. I got these two kids. We're going to be in the emergency room for three days. Like, I got to get her to calm down. So he's like, what's wrong? You're fine. You just got a little bumps on your body. Like, you're totally cool. Let me, let me chill you. Let's put on some Beyonce right now, right? I'm like, <laughs> Beyonce is not what we should be putting on right now. Like, I need to, like, be listening to some birds chirping or maybe some ocean. But, like, he's lying to me to basically yeah. calm me down. You know what I mean? You're totally and so look he's over like, there. Look over there. <laughs> look over there. Relax. Go to sleep. You know what I mean? Just chill out. Totally. You're good. You're rest. You're overreacting. You're fine, oh right? And of course, the, you know, he's trying to lock the kids out. So he's like running a hospital basically between our two rooms. Of course, the next, you know, everything's like, I, after four hours, right, I don't feel like my body's on fire. I should have gone to the hospital. The next day, he's like, I was scared out of my mind. Like, you needed to be in the emergency room, but I couldn't take you and the kids there because everybody was sick. And But it was such a, like, a classic thing about the childcare crisis, right? About yeah. how. You know what I mean? At that moment, totally. so many parents have to make those decisions as they're sick, as their kids are sick. And like, you know what I mean? Their childcare, like, you know, their, their people who are taking care of their babies are sick too. Like, and you got to make these really, really, really tough choices. And no, none of them are good. But, right. you know, everything worked out. It was fine. I'm alive. Um, my husband's a hero. And it's good. He, he is the hero but of the story. I got I to tell you, he's the hero he of the story. He is the hero. He survived. The, the he's hero the hero of the story. The husband comes to save the day. Um, you know, it just, there's such a lack of information. You're like doing the best you can right in that moment. You're like, why am I breaking out? Am I dying? That is. Am I dying? Did I eat something? I didn't eat something. What's going on? Am I stressed? But I don't feel stressed. Like it's the whole, but this is the thing with parents too. Like I I could tell you without like, look at dead in your face and be like, I'm not stressed. I'm fine. You know, but we don't even know. Right. Like, because it's been such a crazy three years. Like, I don't even think we are at all plugged in with ourselves. I'm not. To yeah. know even what stress means, feels like, yeah. is. And so we're all kind of lying to ourselves and just continuing to go with it. And it's going to catch up. You know? And it's a gradual erosion. Like, it's not yeah. like we're so used to stress being so reactive. Like, this thing stressed me out, right? I'm so stressed. I'm so stressed. I'm so stressed. But, like, it's the gradual erosion where it's been building mm. underneath the surface of the stress that one yep. day you wake up in hives. Yes. <laughs> and you're like... Am I dying? Like, like totally. Like, am I dying? Right? And by the way, I have to keep two little humans alive who are literally sick with like. Yeah. Yeah. And of course you bring out hives because for a year you haven't slept because you have. And again, kids that you've raised in COVID who have not built immunity, who have not gotten the support that they need because they were masked up, right? Or they weren't, you know, school obviously had to be shut. So there's all these compounded things that of course our kids are not going to be totally fine, totally at the same grade level. Like, and it's just, it's just, there's no space for that. And we're just kind of told like, oh, don't look over there, right? Keep, 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 keep moving, keep going. Um, Well, this is a great time to bring in our friend, Blessing. Uh, We're so, 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 so excited to have you uh, with us today. Um, You know, before Blessing tells us a little bit about the research uh, that she did with Care.com, you know, love to just, again, want to shout out the fact that she's built this incredible community and she's been helping working caregivers in their careers and their personal lives. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. So great Um, to have you here. Thank you. 
So great. So, you know, Mother Mother Honestly is a platform that's reshaping the future of women and families at home. You know, prior to Mother Honestly, Blessing spent 15 years, wow, in Fortune 100 companies. She's always all over the news, from Fast Company to Wall Street Journal to Parents. She's this highly sought-after speaker. She's so inspiring. I can't believe you studied chemical engineering before getting a master's in energy management and then getting an MBA. She's a proud mom of what, four kids, right? Yes, I am. <laughs> Four little babies. It's so great to have you there. Thank you so much. I'm excited. I'm, of course, Reshma, you know, I'm a huge fan of yours. And um, team, I've been following your work um, since you took over at Care.com. And I, I, I literally was um, nodding yes to everything you both were saying about kids falling behind because I have four and I'm always like, you know, if you're worried about one, think about worrying about four at the same time. I'm like, who is... Who is behind? And at, at a point, I said, you know what? I'm actually um, exhausted trying to keep track of who is behind. We're just going to, you know, read every night and just hope that covers everything. And right. um, and so that's, that's sort of where I'm at. Uh, so thank you. Thank you both for having me. Thanks for being here. Really appreciate it. I mean, four. Wow. I have a hard time with two and I'm just sitting here. Going, By the way, I also kind of hope one drags the other along at all points in time. I'm like, I'm hoping my kids are kind of helping fill in my gaps a little bit. So I could, I, you know, I totally get that statement on the floor. We're going to read. Someone's going to have to pick it up. You know, like that's it. I have a 13 year old, um, a 13 and a half, and we're going to get into this because um, I literally walked into the workplace pregnant and had a baby. So I had no experience being in the workplace without a pregnancy or a baby. And so my, my um, almost 14 year old actually um, reads to the kids um, to our little ones. So that at least helps out a little bit. Um, and yeah, I mean, we're just, you know, we're a family of four and we're doing, um, we're doing well. Uh, I feel like we're running a camp, you know, it, it almost feels like a camp here. Um, so I call us the battalions for the battalions. And, you know, we just keep an assembly line for food for, you know, reading and, and everything else. So <laughs> super excited though. I feel like that prepares me for everything that I do at Mother Honestly. That's incredible. That's incredible. Well, I know we did work together and I really appreciate it. The survey's coming out soon. And and it's it's, you know, having having been fortunate enough to get an early peek at some of the data, I'm really excited to talk to you about the information that we're sharing here. You know, the conversation about how parents are navigating work and life and, you know, what that means. It's it's uh, it feels like whiplash a lot of the times because it's also like you're trying to juggle our are women in the workforce? Are they not in the workforce? Is this the impact here? Is this impact there, right? So doing the survey where we took over a thousand working caregivers and 500 senior executives, it, it was really great. Like, you know, the senior HR leaders, the people to that effect, it was great to get the information and really be able to put data to what, Blessing, I know you have been shouting from the rooftops multiple times over and really be able to talk about it and put it in a package that says, all right, here's what people are actually saying. Like, here's the actual reality of what's happening here. Um, you know, you see the report. And so I feel like the results are just really going to be interesting for this hour for us to talk about. And with that, I feel like let's, let's jump in. There's so much to go into. And you got a munchkin, you got a munchkin behind your back. I love she, it. He's here and I'm hoping that um, <laughs> this is, uh, he is the only boy. And I tell you, I don't know, boys just like attention. Uh, y'all. Oh yeah. I, I got two. We got two. Of, I got two. Of, we get right. Yeah. We know. You know, 
the only boy, and I'm like, you're the only, like, you're the only child that wants to. He wants to know what I'm doing. My mom's attending your events. I'm like, yes, they are. Yes, they are. Um, so very, very grateful to have a um, a caring little boy. I'm super excited about that. But you know, the uh, team, you're absolutely right. The survey and the report that is coming out. Um, you know, um, you know, I I particularly enjoyed what we did with K.com. Um, and I was just very grateful um, for the experience because we learned a lot of things um, with this report. Um, and I think that what we now know is that, you know, caregivers in the workplace have been through a lot. Uh, you know, we've gone from crisis to crisis, whether it's the child care crisis, senior care crisis, the formula shortages, tampon shortages. I feel like there's a lot of shortage um, for things that are related to care. Um, and of course, we saw what happened with Roe v. Wade with our reproductive rights yanked away from us. So caregivers have gone through a lot in the last 30 months. And this report has shown and proved to us that, one, the workplace is changing and it's actually changing for the better for caregivers. And so we need to lean into that. Um, and, I, you know, I can go into 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 the numbers um, with you. But what we what we now know is that remote work works. And we also know that remote work is working for caregivers, but not only caregivers, for everyone. Um, because I think that is where, you know, the future of work needs to include everyone. And what our data has shown, modernesty and care.com, is that if we really and truly want a future that works, it needs to work for everyone. And the data proves that. We also found in the data that caregiving supports a stable stakes. It is so important for companies to lean into care. And, and one of the major reasons is that men are actually doing more now. Um, I was literally smiling when you were talking about, you know, just how you are so involved, right, in, in, in what your son is, is going through with math and, and, you know, trying to get the support that he needs. We're seeing that across board, that men are leaning into care and they're leading with care at home and in the workplace. And so it is even more imperative that employers support everyone um, because it's no longer a woman's issue. Um, we also see from our report um, that remote work is leveling the playing field between women and men, right? If men are doing more housework and more childcare, um, it just only means that we are solving for time poverty that we see mm -hmm. among women, right? So now women have more time to focus on their careers and um, that supports, you know, closing the gender equity gap that quite frankly, is wild to me that it will take over 150 years to close that gap, right? I feel like that what this report is saying is we may actually be able to close that gap faster. Yeah. Um, and, and lastly, you know, employers must get remote work right. Um, and, and I think that, you know, it, remote work is not the answer for all of our problems <laughs> in the workplace, um, but it is going to solve a lot of things, especially for caregivers. And if we truly want that future of work to work, then we need to get remote work right. So those are just a little bit highlights. And I think, you know, let's just dive into it. Ask me all the questions. I'm so eager and so excited to, um, to answer them. I love that. All right, I'm going to start because I'm like, I have so many questions for you. Um, you know, first of all, like, tell me, the, the first part is that everybody's happier. Everybody's happier and everybody is more productive. Tell me about that. Why? 
So what we found is that everyone, um, caregivers and even managers, and I think that was what was um, truly eye-opening for us, is that 76% of caregivers say that remote work is improving their quality of life. And what is even more exciting is that 77% of managers agree. Because remember where we started from, right? When we were all, um, you know, when we said, okay, let's go back home and flatten the curve, right? I don't know if everyone remember that. And oh, said, how can we forget? <laughs> <laughs> we're going to come back into the office. And, you know, so many companies were really trying to bring us back into the office. Managers were worried that people weren't going to be, weren't going to be as productive, that, um, that we would, you know, basically get into a, to a point where um, we're having to chase employees down to get the work done. And now to actually see that over um, three quarters of caregivers and managers actually agree that remote work is improving the quality of life for everyone and that, you know, flexibility works. It supports families. It supports women of color. It supports people of color. It supports uh, LGBTQ friends. It supports everyone. And it's elevating productivity in the workplace. I thought that was very powerful um, as a result yeah. of the report. I thought it was also really, and this is what we found in our Marshall Plan report that we did as well uh, with APCO, was that like it was about giving people control. People mm. just wanted a little bit of control over their schedule. Yeah. And it removed, like if I, you know, if I want to take my kid to school and I don't have to be exactly sitting in my seat, you know what I mean, by 9.30 and the train's running late and now I'm sweating and I'm stressed out, right, and trying to get there. It's like giving people control just like took off this layer of stress uh, and allowed people to do the things that they wanted or needed to do. Uh, you're absolutely right, Reshma. What we, what we found was that people were saving time on commuting. Mm. Right. And so now they are spending more time with their kids, 73 percent spending more time with their kids. Another 71 percent are spending more time on, you know, their their household, you know, um, responsibilities. More people are spending time with their partners and spouse. Another 67 percent spending time with, you know, on leisure activities, because you have to remember where we started from. The, the mental overload that um, that literally crushed so many caregivers. Um, at home while they were trying to, while they were attempting to work and care for their kids and partners and, 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 and community. And so now to now have more time to spend on leisure activities and hobby and exercising, that yeah. is one powerful thing that I actually gleaned out of this report because that gives me hope. Uh, what, we, what we saw was just this despair Right. Again, I started with all the crisis that caregivers have, you know, uh, have been subjected to. And so to now see a gleam of hope and optimism that we can offer, um, especially in the face of everything else that is happening within the country. I, I, I think that was what really um, excited me about the report. What do you think is actually holding back? I mean, that's fascinating. What do you think is holding back employers? Right. There's a there's a I call it a subset, a small group, you know, growing large pandemic really thrust them into having to figure out solutions of this. So it's kind of like a, a means to an end in a lot of ways for some employers. Some are just have always been proactive. You know, I can think of many that have had very proactive policies inside of this. Why do you think more employers aren't just like this? This is it. Productivity is at an all-time high. Let's do it. Like, what do you think is on the sidelines of that? Like, what does the data show in terms of that? Like, why are employers not just all running to the gate of this? 
Absolutely. So what we found is that, you know, first of all, 83% of employees um, with child care responsibilities um, said that they felt supported by the employer. And I, I thought that was very powerful because when, when the pandemic hit and we all went into this remote work, we, we all came out, including Care.com, saying you have to increase your level of support. Um, for for families, you have to increase senior care. You have to increase elder care um, and and housekeeping and various uh, support for your for your employees. And and I think that companies. What we found is that companies are listening, and and companies are actually taking that proactive measure to support and to preempt for that care disruptions. Um, and 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 seventy five percent of employees with senior care responsibilities said exactly the same thing, that they felt their company's level of support was strong. So I think what I gather from this team is that we need to lean in into this data and basically say, wow, you know, we've been sort of beating employers up, right? You're not doing much. You're not like, mm-hmm. you need to step up. You need to give your employees what they need. And what we're seeing is that employers are actually stepping up, but then we now are in a sort of a, um, a pivotal moment, right? Um, within 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 our country, because we have inflation, we have the rising cost of childcare. We have so many things. People are being squeezed and, 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 and the demand, right, for care is increasing. And then we have this, child care worker shortages. And so we need to lean into this data and say, employers, we see that you're responding to this. So this is not the time to cut any type of care support for your employees. This is not a time to pull back on child care. This is not the time to pull back on senior care. In fact, this is the time to actually lean into that and, yeah. and continue to support your employees so that they can weather through this inflation, this recession, um, and whatever is left of this pandemic with confidence and resilience. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I do, I don't know, Tim, if you feel this way, but in New York, it feels like employers are starting to push people back into the office. Oh, yeah. What was once a two-day or a three-day is now becoming a four-day or a five-day. And this also back and forth is creating a lot of havoc for caregivers because I made my plan when I thought I had to be in the office three days a week. And now you're changing the rules on me. And now I feel like you're always going to change. So, so, so that's like, so what I think this report is so important because I think the data that your, your employees like you better, you know what I mean? When you provide these benefits and they'll stay longer, I think can really stop. You know what I mean? The movement of really pulling back on this because you've seen, again, report after report showing that employers are starting to pull back on this. And I don't know, Blessing, if you, what you think about this, but one of the things that's interesting as I've talked to different CEOs is when they do survey their employees and they say, what are the things that you, what are the benefits that you want us to provide? Often childcare is not on the top five. And the first thing that women and women in particular are saying, oh, give me professional development mm-hmm. because we think that's what we're supposed to say, right? Rather than tell you what we actually need. And so there has to be this parallel movement. I think that's happening. What we're doing at Marshall Life for Moms, I know you're doing Mother Honestly, is like giving women the permission to say, no, 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 ask for what you need. Like when you get that survey, put childcare number one. Right. And like, don't put, don't not put on the list because you think that you don't want your employer to judge you for it. Um, because I think employers are really paying attention or using survey results as a reason to cut these benefits. I completely agree with you. I think, I think that, um, you know, employers are starting to pull back on a lot of those resources. And I think a lot of it is because, you know, one, they want people back into the, into the office. Um, and, and, and two, you know, a lot of the responses 
to childcare was as a result of, you know, the pandemic and people generally feel like the pandemic is behind us. And so we can go back to the pre-pandemic way of doing things. And so that is why I'm excited about this report that is out there is for us to really prove to employers that it's not enough. It's not enough to um, lean into remote work, which a lot of you are doing, but what we need to do is actually get it right. Um, because the data is showing that we all love remote work. <laughs> you know, I don't know about you, but I'm not ready to start getting on the on the train, which I did when I was, you know, working for a Fortune 100 company. And I would spend at least three hours, you know, between driving my car to the park and go, getting on the bus. I had an episode where my entire breast milk spilled on me on the bus. Um, and that video actually went viral. Um, and, and, and so nobody wants to go back to that. And so we need to give our employees the choice um, to tell us, you know, what works best for them. A lot of people want remote work and a lot of people want hybrid and a lot of, some people want to come back into the office. And so I think we, we need this, what this report is showing is that we need to give our employees more option. Um, and the, the, the solution is not to enforce anything because what we know is that people not only want flexibility with their work, they want flexibility with their time. Right. So, so that is what this data is showing us. And so employers need to lean into that um, in providing that flexibility across board. Uh, I've got got a question for both of you, actually, because I honestly don't know Uh, the advocation piece you just spoke about in regards to women advocating for what they need, what they actually need versus what they believe they need. Is it a they don't know what they don't know in the workforce, meaning that that it, for so long society has been set up like childcare is your problem and you need to handle your family, that the, the company is not responsible for ensuring, and I love the term used earlier, ensuring your time poverty is not impacting your happiness. That, that, is that, is it, is it just like there's just a reframe that needs to happen for women to go, wait, for me to be successful, for me to really win... I need childcare. And that's not just a me problem. That's an us problem company and my, like. Yeah. I mean, listen, I think it's similar to, and blessing, I don't know if you had this experience, but like when I was interviewing for jobs, I was kind of new or told or like, you know what I mean? Implicitly to the girls, like, don't ask about um, what their paid leave policy is. Or mm-hmm. don't ask about anything that might indicate that you're interested in having a child because immediately, because remember back in the day, they, they would straight up ask you, right? Like, when are you planning on having kids? Because that was seen as a sign that you weren't as committed to your job. Um, so I, I think that that's a, a, a spillover now, right? Where mm-hmm. it's like, you're not asking for those benefits or what the status is of those benefits because you almost are still implicitly told to hide that identity of you being a mother. What's interesting is IVF. Because as I write about my book, Pay Up, right, five years ago, like 0% of companies offered IVF. And now everybody does because yeah. women, men, everyone you know, came into the interview and said, what's your fertility benefits? Fertility and prolonging fertility was seen as a sign that you were actually a worker, that you actually were committed to your job because you were going to prolong having a baby, you know what I mean, so that you could actually stay in the workforce for as long as you possibly can. Childcare, paid leave, 
are the opposite, right? Mm. And so I think that that's what's really going on is this implicit fear that if I signal that I'm interested in that, you're suddenly not going to give me that promotion, not going to give me that opportunity, not invite me to that thing. And that is what we have to basically shift. Yeah, Absolutely. I, I agree with you. I remember my last job, I, when I interviewed, I was six months pregnant. So you all need to see me. So I wore this huge jacket, right? Because I'm like, I don't like this bump. You better stay flat, you know, through this interview. Um, and I walked in and of course it was five white men. And so you can just imagine, um, you know, my, the trepidation, um, you know, that was oozing out of me, but, you know, I eventually got that job. Um, my husband keeps saying, you know, you just walk into everything and you just grab it up and, you know, I got the job and, um, I, I will never forget when I showed up. And of course, you know, by the time I started, cause you know, you have to go through all the, uh, you know, background checks and all of that medical and I showed up and of course now I'm seven months um, and it was very clear that I was pregnant and I will never forget my manager at the time said well I did not know you were pregnant if I knew we wouldn't be hiring you because we have you know we literally have you know something that is a project that you're supposed to work on that is literally due um, while you're on maternity leave and so that was just a very horrible experience for me because I ended up um, you know coming back from maternity leave or parental leave, which I'd I love to call it now because, you know, paid leave or, you know, having a child is not a woman's issue. So when I came back from parental leave, it was very clear that I needed to compensate the company. And that was the language for giving me that generous four months leave. And so, Reshma, you are absolutely right. Um, when you say that, you know, women don't feel safe, like we just don't feel psychologically safe um, to voice our opinion our true opinion on what we think we need. So even though we know, like when we survey women at Mother Honestly, separately and quietly, they tell us we want childcare. We want housekeeping. I mean, nobody ever, ever goes to their manager and say, we need help with housekeeping. But I can guarantee you that when companies actually provide housekeeping benefits. Ooh, I love this. We should go push for that now. I like that. <laughs> when companies a good one. provide housekeeping benefits, Productivity will actually go up because can you imagine staring at a pile of laundry and your daily house while you're trying to actually get work done? That gives me heart palpitations. Okay. And if I know that that is taken care of, I can literally get through my work in a much more, you know, um, streamlined manner. Right. So a lot of time when we survey women privately, they tell us we need housekeeping. We need childcare. We need support with tutoring. Right. Yeah. For our kids. We don't, we don't understand second grade math. And so these are the issues. But then when you, when they come to the workplace setting, they're like, you know what? I actually just need career advancement. I I need mentorship. (laughs) Yes. Right. Because that's the answer you think you're supposed to give. And to your point, you reminded me again of something that Betsy Stevenson is in. What did she say to him that like the average person works 61 years and you know, you're talking about a four month break right, out of your entire work. So the way that an employer should be seeing it is like, great, I hire you at seven months, you're going to leave in two months for three months, but then I got you right. for 20 years, you right. know what I mean? And so great, right. go and, 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 and take the time that you need because the trajectory that I want you here is going to be very long and they don't see it that way. Yeah. Um, and so we're constantly felt like I, I pulled something on you yeah. and so, I tricked you, right? And, or, and it's four months to create a human. Let's just be very clear. Yes. You, know, not, you, you had many more months to create the human, but to have right. It's like I'm going to Hawaii, surfing, right? right. <laughs> exactly, right? It's four months, 61 years 
I've had a human being, you know what I'm saying? It's like, that's just the irony of the situation, which is it, it's not it's not ironic in a funny way. It's ironic in a very sad way that we as society kind of like have had the, and that both of you have had these experiences going through your career development because, you know, look, I do sit in the seat of privilege in this conversation at all times. I'm a, I'm a guy. Like, I don't, I don't have that. Like, people don't look at me and they're like, when people talk to me about my family, they're like, oh, you got kids. Way to go, right? It's not like, uh, oh, you've got kids. Don't talk about your children's care. Don't give Tim the CEO position. Yeah, right? exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is the reality never. of the situation. It's never like that in and- a, in a and, and team, I think this is where the conversation about, you know, um, paid leave or parental leave and making that equal is so important, right? Because, um, you know, when we when we look at parental leave across companies and we see, oh, we're only going to give men two weeks or four weeks. And, you know, women, yeah, we're doing it. We're doing it well. You, you have 16 weeks. Well, what we're communicating is that this new baby is is a, is a woman's issue. That it's not a man's issue, and so we literally start the the the, the um, you know the beginnings of a child's life, communicating to the child very clearly that your mom is responsible for you, and so so if we really want to level the playing field properly, um, and and really make this all of our issue, then we need to start with looking at our policies, and and degendering them, because we need to make it clear that this company is leading with care. And what that means is that we're going to care for you, whether you or your or your child or your relatives, whether you are a man or a woman, it doesn't matter. Because what matters to us is that every employee gets the support that they need to do their best work and live their best life. Yeah, it's it, it relates to the data you just you you just dropped the, the knowledge bomb on us earlier about how the the housekeeping benefit tends to really support getting productivity up, right? You could say that across the gamut, whether that whether it's a professional house cleaner or whether it's a spouse or a partner or someone else who's able to actually pitch in and support, it opens up the mental cognizance of that person, the other individuals who participate in the family to really be able to participate fully in the activities that they're, they're part of, whether that's work, whether that's life, whether that whatever that is. And employers really do get that benefit, right? The data shows, you, 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 you know, the surveys that, that both you know, uh, you know, Marshall Plan for Moms and that that Mother Honestly and, and Care put together show that productivity really can continue to improve. And I think the thing that actually where I'm going with this is where, what scares me is in this economic time, as we start to talk about inflation, as we start to talk about pulling back, I'm hearing more of that drumbeat, Rushba, that you talked about of get back to the office. Oh, you, you know, I've even heard it on a Zoom call the other day and I actually had to correct someone. They, they said, uh, we were trying to find someone quickly to have a quick Zoom to get everything together. And and they were, I don't know, like one of the individuals was not readily available. And I had someone say to me, well, you know, they're not at their desk. They're just not being, they're just not being productive. Right. And I said, <laughs> you can't, it's, but this, this narrative started to come back in, which kind of reverts backwards to where I feel like we have been. And I get And it's concerned. so not true. I mean, the Fed did a survey. And study that the product there have been no productivity loss. In fact, productivity gains when you let people remote remotely. So, this is an interesting situation where we're not actually following the data. And so, there's something else, right, that is behind this need. In New York, we say it's all about real estate. It's a real estate lobby. You know what I mean? It's like wanting that's putting these like this pressure on. Um, but I mean, to your point too, I think in this survey, right, it shows that that remote work has leveled the the paying field between men and women, which I found very interesting. Love for you to talk more about that blessing. Absolutely. So so 77% of employees um, said remote work is good for career advancement. 
across gender lines. And, and I think we all know exactly why, right? Um, if we're all working from home, now suddenly, right, um, there's a there's a level playing field. We're all projecting projects on, on Zoom. It's, you know, team is not um, hanging out with, you know, with his boys afterwards, right, to, to you know, to grab to grab a glass of, of, of wine and, and, you know, fight for that promotion. And so we're seeing more and more equal opportunities as a result of remote work. And, and, and what the data is showing that everybody actually, we love it. We love that, you know, gender lines are starting to disappear um, as a result of remote work. And so, Reshma, to your question about what, 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 is, what is there, what, like, why do we need to come back into the office if we f- see that remote work is working and we all actually love it? And I think it's control. It's employers want control. You know, it's you. You want to see that your investment is actually paying off. That people are actually working, typing away, um, sitting at their desk, and it makes you feel good, right? It just makes you feel good as a manager or as a CEO to walk in and see that people are actually working. And I think what this data, um, you know, will show um, to everyone that has a chance to read it is that instead of us leading with fear. Instead of us leading with, whoa, uh, are people actually going to work in, 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 a, you know, in a recession or in, in, in an environment where we all really need to be doubling down? Uh, why don't we lean into care, right? Uh, because uh, because we, we, we've seen that there are other ways to achieve higher productivity, We've seen that if we can just, you know, give people more support and on the home front, if we can just let people have more flex, more control over their time, more flexibility, that we can actually increase that productivity. We've demonstrated that already. And so I think that this is a call to action for employers, that instead of leading with fear, instead of leading with, oh, you need to come back because we need to see you, we need to lead with care. So what I what I what I have started saying is that you know we we and I've coined the word and I don't even have been used before um, work life care because I feel like we need to we, I feel like this is a time for us to remind employers that is actually a duty of care right to employees that we've not really talked about much because our country has been so focused on, you know, the, the Q3 results and, and, and capitalism and all this, you know, fancy stuff. And so we haven't exactly leaned into, into that, into that duty of care that, we, that is expected from an employer. And we saw what happened as a result when the pandemic hit. There was zero safety net. Even employers that were, be, that was be, they were benefiting from all the hours of work could not save their employees. And so this is a reminder that, look, we have to get this right this time. We understand there's an inflation, there's recession, there's all of these things. But we need to remember that when we don't lead with care, we run into real issues yeah. in the workplace. I agree with that. There's, there's, so I completely, you know, blessing you and I are very much on the same page a lot of times, especially with the data, right? I believe in the shared responsibility. Here's where it gets dicey as an employer for me. And I would love, I'd love to hear your perspective on a blessing. It is... When you look at the disruption of accountability and responsibility, right? Because it, it's just—it's—I shouldn't even say it's—it's it's a, a negative. It's just redrawn lines, right? Like of what who employers are accountable for X, employees are accountable for for Y. You know what's the accountability lines? And 
two factors always come up for me in the, the various debates I have regarding working from home. And it is, how do you, and I, I get, sorry, I just want to also caveat it. I'm going to caveat before I get into it, which is, I understand there's a responsibility on the employer to figure this out too. But how do you, one, mentor employees in a remote environment? Right? The, the structures for mentorship have been for so long, an in-person, like, catch corrective action kind of structure of, you know, when you have relatively young employees starting out, you really want to just correct them and and course correct them. If you're sitting on Zoom, you only get to do it in the very structured box, right? So it's like you lose that magic in some ways. And then famously, you know, like, like I have executives inside of the organization say to me all the time, how do you capture innovation, in a remote environment as well. So it's a little bit like, how do employees take responsibility for that piece of it? And how do employers take responsibility for that? And and how do you make this tenable? Because I think that that's part of it also, which is, I do think control is an aspect of it, but I also just wonder, how does that? I, I completely agree with you. And I, I completely agree with you, Tim. Um, and I've always said, work-life care is both ways. It has to be both ways. We can't expect employers to put their best foot forward and employees not putting their best foot forward. So I think mm-hmm. we need to be clear on that. And that is why when our data said we need to get remote right, that those are some of the aspects, right, that I think we all need to think about. Because what happens when we when we say that we want to get remote work right, it means that there is, you know, there's a responsibility on the employer side and also a responsibility on the employee side. So so that is one. And 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 when you when we talk about mentorship and we talk about flexibility and remote work, we have to always remember that we are not asking for people to permanently never leave their house, right? right? right. So th- there's so many ways right. that we can get remote work right. And it, it doesn't mean that employees don't come to the office. It doesn't mean that employees are only on Zoom 24-7. It just means that everyone has flexibility and we can all agree. So team, if you and I agree that we're blessing, you know, especially with how you're working right now, you're in Nigeria. I'm here in, you know, Austin, we're going to work remotely, you know, for X, Y, and Z days. And maybe on some days you and I are going to meet up when we go to, um, you know, the mother honestly summit, we're going to take that one week and work on some really key issues for 2023. We're going to start planning that. There are so many ways that we can be flexible with how we work. That doesn't require that an employer has total control or an employee has total control. Rashma, I see you eating to talk, so say something. (laughs) No, I just, I could not, like, yeah, I mean, I could not agree more. Like, I just think about, for me, like, I have spent a lot of my time when I was CEO of Girls Code, now CEO of Marshall Plan for Moms, managing remotely. I love to talk on the phone. I love to call you. I love to, like, you know what I mean? If I'm coming, if I'm speaking at something, I'll fly somebody out, right? Or, you know, I really engage in like quarterly staff um, staff retreats that we get a lot done. So I think this point that like that, that, that everyday mentorship happens, that's not how mentorship happens. Mm-hmm. And I think that for me, somebody could just as much learn from me by listening to me on a call where I'm pitching something or watch me on a Zoom, you know what I mean, than they can, you know, again, standing – 
So those interactions aren't happening every single day. Yeah. So I feel like that is a little bit of a cop-out, this whole idea of like, let me pull you over and like watch you sit in a meeting and watch me. I just don't know how different the in-person interaction is different than watching me pitch an investor on a Zoom call. Yeah. I just I just don't think that, that that there's such a big difference that we have to do that. Now, in, and I think the innovation piece is – is the same. I I think that innovation doesn't happen every single day. Innovation happens in moments. And you yeah. can have a week, a three days, once a month, right, where you pull people together, you know what I mean? And you basically do, you know, do a, do a session on something that you're trying to, like, bang out. We just had a Marshall Plan for Moms, you know, staff retreat. And it was just, it was literally less than probably, it was probably like maybe 30 hours. And it was just, we just crushed it. You know what I mean? And yeah. everybody was like, boom. Right. But we didn't need more than that. We didn't need more than a dinner at night and then nine to four. You know what I mean? And we, that's what we needed to like. But the thing is, is that that takes discipline. And I think people are lazy. That's it. Right. Yes. I think people yes, are yes, lazy. Yes. Right. And the thing is, moms aren't lazy. Right. Like that's we it. are highly disciplined. And we have learned a long time ago, like, I don't need 10 hours. I need one. Right. Yep. And, and I can bring it. And I think so to me, this way of working, I think, is going to create more innovation, more productivity. I think that's and that's what the data shows. Yeah. That, by the way, I, I, I'm, uh, sorry, I was just going to say that's exactly where my head goes when I have the conversations with various executives. Is it's lazy, but it's also the lack of intentionality. People have to be intentional, right? Because there was so much time wasted in the office for. Parents alone and parents, as you just said, have don't got the time. Like, you know, like I don't want to be hanging out in the in the cafeteria hearing about how your cat just had an allergic reaction. You know, like I love you. I don't, you know, but like my kids gotta get picked up. I need to go get this project done. Like, I feel like what happens in an executive ranking, and, and I can't speak for all executives. I'm talking about just there are some hallways that this conversation happens. It really is. You got to be structured. You got to be intentional. You've got to not be lazy. You got to do the work in order to command someone's time and actually build what you're going for. So, and listen, I, I think the most and blessing. I love. I wanted to know if the data showed, but one of the most interesting things I just came off of, you know, co-chairing most powerful women. And I, I literally got into a debate. Uh, you know, a heated sometimes debate with a lot of female CEOs that really disagreed with what we're talking about, that really believed that not having women in the office, not having FaceTime was going to be detrimental to equality. And I've been really thinking about like, and I think part of it is because that's how they think they got in the C-suite, mm. was that somebody saw them, pulled them over, they showed up at every happy hour, they were there, right? And so that's the way that we have to do it. And what I was really pushing back on was like, well, why can't you imagine something different? Why can't we imagine something different and make it happen? Because as a CEO, you could redesign hybrid work. You could bring in a new technology tool that makes people be in the room. You could redesign... Performance reviews, you know what I mean? And, and and again, the way you, again, structure work so that it works for women. And again, I think it's this fear, right, of like, well, I did it this way, and so this is the only way that it can be done. Or, you know, that and that that mindset of, it's almost like the hazing mindset, right, is what has kept women back for so long and has not been able, not unable to say, unable to say, Wow, I did. I went through that. That was really hard and painful. It cost me my marriage. It cost me my kids. It cost me my kidney, right? And because it did, right? For most of these women. 
And we don't have to do it that way for the next generation. And so let's think about something different. Let's, let's invent something new. Your experiences are your reality. Your experiences are your reality, right? Like your experiences are your reality and everything is put through the lens of your experiences, right? So a hundred percent. Sorry, bless you. I definitely want to hear. I I just, this one blows my mind. No, I mean, absolutely. I'm I'm literally, I feel like Reshma, I mean, you're spot on, right? Because our data shows exactly the same thing, that managers must create systems that ensures that the downsides of working from home are mitigated. And the benefits of being in office are replicated in a virtual format. And it's exactly what you said, Reshma. We need to we need to put in the work, right? So so if, if there's any message out of this podcast, it is that we need to put in the work to redesign a workplace that works for everyone. It works for parents, works for caregivers, works for various people of various background, works for historically excluded communities. And, and Reshma, I mean, this takes me back to one of the articles of yours that I read on time.com about, you know, the people that really want to come back into the office. We have to remember that the people that are actually really excited about working remotely are people of color, are people that have been historically excluded because they somehow feel more safer, right, outside of the office. And so, you know, we just talked about the, the idea that I had to literally, you know, jump into three winter coats to hide my pregnancy. You know, can you imagine that? Um, and so how do we how do we level the playing field? Um, whether it's temporary, I always believe everything is temporary. OK, I don't believe that anything is set in stone. Whether it's, you, you know, I don't even believe that remote work is set in stone. I think that we need to just get into this mindset of continually evolving to be more inclusive, to improve belonging for everyone. And so yeah. it's, it's how do we, we, we have to put in the work to do whatever it takes. And that laziness in corporate America is exactly why we're seeing a lot of people asking for everyone to come back into the office, even when the data clearly shows that remote work works, it makes us happier, we're spending more time with our kids, men are doing more, you know, in supporting their partners and being a part of their family. I feel like that is a great thing for us. That's something that we should all be celebrating, that finally we're bringing our humanity into work. And yep. that is something that we should be celebrating. And we're not doing that. Instead, we're doing, going the exact, like, you turn, you know, reverse. Like, no, we got to go back into the office. No, 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 no. We're not doing that again. Yep. And do you know what's so wild as you've been talking and I've been thinking about this report is like, it's so interesting to me about how, the, like, this is, again, another situation where the data is very clear and sound. And it's not even like by a Marshall Band for Moms and a Mother. I mean, the Fed did an entire study completely unattached, right, to any outcome saying this. But yet some of the smartest CEOs in the world are, are, are selling a different story. And the thing that this reminds me of is diversity, mm-hmm. right? The data had been done on diversity, that diversity is important 50 years ago, right? Showing that when you bring diverse teams together, you get better economic outcomes. But Blessing, how many times have, when you've been <laughs> talked on this topic, have you been asked, well, do you have a study on that? What's the data say? Like, do you have a report? And again, it's this Jedi mind trick, yeah. trying to make people feel that like, well, actually, there's no evidence on this. And this is exactly what's going to happen on hybrid work if we don't keep doing reports, keep showing the data, keep when we get challenged push over the Fed report, push over the mother, you know, motherhonestlyandcare.com report and say, wait, well, explain this then. 
refute this then because it's all then fake news. And so it's just really, really, really to me, again, shocking or it shouldn't be shocking. Actually, now I say I feel naive every time I'm shocked by these things that like the data is really clear. So we shouldn't be arguing about this. And I think we're all feeling this, that squeeze. We we found out um, found this out in the report as well. Everybody's feeling, you know, when 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 companies are saying come back into the office, suddenly you're like, whoa! It it, it means I'm doing something wrong, right? And we saw that, you know, in the in in the in the report. What we also found was that there's some fear, right, around remote work. There's some sort of trepidation, right? Because 58% of women said, well, we feel that remote work would limit our career advancement. And, and 64% of men also agree, right? And I think it's because we, we constantly are sending this message that if you're not in the office, right? It's like this proximity bias thing that we've been talking about lately, mm-hmm. right? If you're not in person and you're not the favorite, right, employee, and you're not the one who is talking over everyone in meetings and everyone can see you do that, then your career will not advance. It's like we're trying to like match this old reality with like things that needs to be dynamic and changing in the current reality. And so we are all now in limbo. I feel like we're all in limbo. We don't know what's going on. And that is why I'm super excited about this report, because I feel like this report finally tells us what we already know. Um, I will confirm what we already know, that remote work is here to stay and that if companies really and truly want the best out of their employees, if we are really serious about productivity, if it's not just all talk, then we need a lean into remote, remote work or flexibility for employees. Right. Yeah. yeah and, and well, thank you, Blessing. Go ahead. I was just going to say one other thing, which is here's the pro tip I'm taking away from this, right? We got the data. We now continue to double down on the data. We continue to be able to say this study, this study, this study, right? Here's the pro tip for your parents out there. Here's the pro tip for you CEOs out there or leaders or managers, or I don't care who you are. Here's the pro tip, ready? You take the data to your leader and you go, you want to make more money? You want to be more productive? you want to beat the competition, you want to have that edge, this is how you do it. And let's put the structures in place so we are addressing your concerns about innovation, addressing your concerns about productivity, addressing your concerns about mentorship. Let's figure those structures out because if we get this right, our company will skyrocket. And that, yep. to me, is going to be the killer. Like, that, to me, is the grassroots we get it right, endeavor. We'll be rich. That's it. And that will that's be it. it. Because that's what in companies are, you know, like, look, that's it. That's it. So, that's yeah. it. That's, what, that's, that, that's it. That's it. All right, pro tip done. Mic drop. <laughs> like, like that. But but you are exactly right. We have to, it, it can't be like, this isn't fair. And, and you know, parents are getting screwed. It's Here's like, the data. Here's the data. Rich. Here's the data. And I'm Here's like, the data. Yeah. And you want, right. And that's it. Well, yeah. blessing. Thank you so much. This was like I think might be maybe like our favorite conversation. Uh, I, maybe I shouldn't say that because everybody else. <laughs> We've had but incredible ones, but really this one awesome. was also incredible. I got to tell you, this one was awesome. Yes. It was one of our favorites. True. Much more diplomatic, Tim. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> Um, but thank you, Blessing, for being on, and thank you for this report, and thank you for everything that you do in the world to make it a better place. I am forever part of your sisterhood and a big champion and a big supporter of what you're doing, and just grateful for you. Thank you so much. I'm not much in the sisterhood, but thank you. I appreciate it. I am no, definitely. You are in I'm in the brotherhood now. I'm in the brotherhood. Yeah, yeah you're like a you know big brother. Bros can be in sisterhood too. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take whatever it is. I'll, I. 
I want it in the sisterhood. Don't get me wrong. Uh, <laughs> thank you, you definitely want to be in. This is really <laughs> great. Thank you so much. Um, I, it was just a great opportunity to work with Care.com on this. Um, and, and I think, you know, it just goes to prove that, you know, um, we, need to, we need to lean into that care, um, you know, one that, of course, Care.com provides, but also just how do we, you know, con- I, I feel like what we need to be pushing now you know, as the final pro tip is how do we build this caring workplaces mm-hmm. that is not focused on control and fear and all of this, you know, um, data that, you know, we're not even using, but that is more focused on literally, let's just focus on care. Like if we focus on care, we would have solved for a lot of things. And, and we won't have to sit around talking about how do we make money? How do we, you know, increase productivity? Because we've solved for all the big things that our employees worry about. We've solved for it with care. So thank you for having me and um, enjoy the rest of the podcast season. Thank you, Blessing. See you soon. Okay, so that was some amazing episodes. So much I learned. What did, I mean... Where do we start? Do we start with Betsy Stevenson? Like, yeah, I think we start with. Be- I feel like I'm on. Did you ever ride that Mr. Toad's Wild Ride over Disney? When you ever been there on that one? So the whole no, theme I'm, is like you just I ride a been on that one. crazy like roller coaster ride. That is what I feel like we've gone through through all of the various places of care. I think yeah, let's start with like Betsy. Betsy, Ooh. so much to so much. So sh- there. so much, right? I mean, I feel like this whole episode just made me a lot smarter. And mm-hmm. like, there are things that like have been said that I have like used in speeches and talks like Betsy. I mean, the point about like the United States was the first country to offer public school education and that people were so upset about that. And that essentially it was the best thing that we did for our economy and that like we could fill an entire library of commerce with data, going back to the data that like early education is important, but yet we still don't do what we know we need to do for the economy. List right. blew me away. Yeah. I also found Betsy educated me on a social aspect of it that I hadn't really put into my head concretely, which is as parents, we are mama and papa bears. Like we fight and advocate for our children on an individualistic level, but it's really phrased when we start to come together as a parental community to advocate for rights. Like we lose Mm. something in the voice as it bubbles up because we know how to advocate for ourselves and our family and our needs. But how do we get it to the collective? How do we, because that's where the change starts to happen. That's where the magic is going to come. And that's where I thought the pollsters were really interesting because for me, it was like, these are really bipartisan. These are apolitical issues. And I feel like, again, because we're in the middle of these culture wars, we politicize them when they're not political. Like, And there's really not a lot of disagreement. No, Um, I don't think anyone read you know, that article about the math scores and said, ah, forget about it. We don't need to do anything about that. Right. Absolutely. I mean, I think every parent read that and was like, oh my God, like we need to do something. I think every mother, I mean, every room I'm in, I'm like, who went to who went to work before they were ready? Every hand raised. Yeah. And so many women look at that moment as the moment that shifted everything for them professionally. Yep. And if they had more time, things could have been different. So it's like, there's so much consensus and I think we need more movements. Yeah. We're trying to do that at NPM about that that are talking about this in an apolitical way, so people can kind of come together, and we yeah. need to look for ways to have have people come together. Yeah, it's it's not a topic that needs to be divisive. It's not a topic that needs to get into tribalism, right? It is very much a topic of 
what's best for our kids. And universally, you said it, universally, everyone wants what's best for the kids. Like no one's going to stand there and be yeah. like, nope, don't want my kids to succeed in math, right? Like it's no matter where you are on the spectrum, you care about kids. The problem ends up being who pays for it, right? Yeah. Is it tax cuts? Is it something that ends up being where we need to fund it through a public public service? Like, no one has the answer. And that's the problem. Like everyone has ideas on both sides. And there's so many other pressing issues now facing in terms of, of what the party system seems to think there are, though you and I, I think, I, I don't want to pour it in your mouth, know that this is the one that could solve a lot of those issues if given the right yeah. structure and support. How do we pay for it? How do we really put dollars to work? And that's going to be the real thing that I think the government's going to have to deal with. The government and businesses and individuals are going and to have to deal with And the businesses are going to have to deal with it. And I think we talked to some amazing business leaders like Carol Jewell about about that, about what the powers of the private sector. Okay, so can I tell you what the most depressing thing was, though, for me on this podcast? Or was when Claire, Claire K. Miller basically made this, and I keep I talk about this, is like when I asked her, like, do you think we'll ever shift the ratio of domestic work? And she used the example of, you know, same-sex couples and relationships and about how the problem is really about American culture and how we work. And in same-sex couples, right, you have you basically do the negotiation. Who's going to be flexible? Who's going to hustle all day, all night? And the default is always in heteronormative relationships, moms. Yep. And so until we change work and until we change culture, I don't know if anything's going to change. That depressed me. That, you know, it's true. It is a depressing, and it, it you kind of brought me down, which is why that sigh came in because I was riding, I was riding on a high, and then I was like, "Wow, she's absolutely." As Sorry, all things you say, you say it many times. You know, you, you do this many times in my life where I feel like I get smacked with a with a rushism. Uh, I'm like, "Oh, that's brilliant insight." I am now. I hadn't thought of it that way. It's just true. It is. It, it, it is a societal change. It is a societal shift. And I think what in that moment, what I had come to grips with, reflecting back on it, was I don't know if it's going to happen in my generation. Like I don't know if it's going to happen in my lifetime. But I really hope that we can lay the rocks and the pebbles and the stones for the path to be there for future generations. Because it's what it's all about, right? I want my kids to not inherit bad aspects of society that we have today or perceived bad aspects, whatever that might be for you. Um, and I really want them to succeed. So I really hope we can be agents of change. And it's not like, I sound so defeatist. I sound like I'm giving up, right? But I'm not giving up. Like, I think that there's a lot of movement to be made there, but I do think it's a wholesale change. I think it's a wholesale change. I think you're it's right. It's very hopeful, Tim. You always make me feel very hopeful after <laughs> I spend time with you. It's just, no. And I think that, you know, cause we have very, we've had, um, I think as this podcast shows, very different lives, very different mm. parenting styles, but very same. You know, we are probably two very, you know, you look at us and we're like, couldn't get any more different. Yeah. But it's also very similar in our values and how we love our children and how we love what we do and like what we want, uh, not just for ourselves and our own families, but, you know, for everybody. And so I do think we have to dream big. Yeah. And I do think we, I think hopefully, I think in this podcast, we got at the heart of so many different questions and things we need to grapple with and things we need to consider. So it's been a wonderful ride. I 
I've loved every minute of it. You know, you had me think of something where every year I read this perennial article called What Will I Do With My Life by Clay Christensen. I don't know if you ever heard of it. It's fantastic. And I highly recommend it for anyone. And he makes this observation that he says, you know, he went to his 50-year uh, MBA reunion and he looked around the room and there's titans of titans. He went, he went to one of the Ivies and it's the titans of titans inside of there. And he looked around the room and he was like, and I could call out, that one had a divorce. That one's kids don't talk to him. That one is miserable. That one is it. And, and raising children, we've been so conditionalized in America that, that we want immediate feedback loops. So work is all about an immediate feedback loop. You want to have that feedback loop. You want to like, am I doing it? Am I getting the gold star? Is this successful? Is this working? And children are the longest term 18 year, if not more investment you're going to make with no immediate feedback loop. And so what he said is, as he looked around the room at his reunion and he said, I'm so glad I prioritized my family in my life because that looking back, I have a wife loves me. I have kids who I have a deep, rich connection with. And he goes, and I didn't make the short-term trade for the things in life that like would give me the immediate feedback loop. I keep making the long-term investment, though there is no clear path for a payback. And, uh, you know, this podcast has just really reminded me of that because you know, Reshma, you inspire me in many, many ways. And I really appreciate you, but parents out there also do. And I really hope parents can be looking at their children and knowing that it is the long-term that we're fighting for here. It's the long-term investment of a better life for them and a better life for yourself. Parents deserve a better life. So thank you for honoring me and letting me have room in your space. Thank you. That was so powerful and so beautiful and such a beautiful way to, I think, end this podcast. And I know it's just the beginning of our journey together. Definitely. We may see you on the road somewhere. <laughs> Definitely we will. So we go on tour. <laughs> 50 City Tour. 50 City Tour. Um, 50 City Tour. <laughs> we'll bring our kids with us. That oh. will be fun. <laughs> I don't think you're ready for that you really one. want to see something? <laughs> yeah, oh, exactly. They're going to love each other. Well, thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thank Why you. Why care? Because you should. Because you should.